And all of God's people said amen. amen. Thank you, team. You know, we read a lot of books, but uh, some uh, sentences and some ideas can stay with you. And I want to thank you for your warm welcome back. And you have no idea how great it is to be home. And, but um, I often think whenever I go, whatever the opportunities, whatever the honors, as you've honored me in receiving me back, I always think of something Corrie Tim Boom said in one of her books. It was powerful that stays with me, and I think about it all the time. She asked the question, do you think for a moment the donkey on whom Jesus was sitting on Palm Sunday probably looked around and thought this was all for him? <laughs> That's how I feel. <laughs> I'm glad to be the donkey. One of the other memorable quotes that most of us probably will never forget this Sir Winston Churchill when he said during World War II, we will never surrender. Never, never, never surrender. I know these words of Sir Winston Churchill have encouraged a lot of people, many people through the years, and they hung on to this. And today I want to tell you that there are times when uh, we must never Never, never surrender. But then I'm going to show you again from the Word of God that there are times when surrender is the only secret of blessing. Never surrender to the enemy of your soul. Never surrender to temptation. Never surrender to blind ambition. Never surrender to discouragement and fear. But then there is that kind of surrender that is not only wonderful, but it's the only thing in which blessing is awaiting you. It's the only place where blessing is awaiting you. It is not only wonderful, but you cannot be blessed without it. There is a kind of surrender that is not only commendable, but it's the only way. Now I'm talking, of course, about the surrender of my will and your will to the will of God. The surrender of our plans to the plan of God for our lives the surrender of our desires to His desire for us. It is that surrender that I'm talking about, and that is why I would like to call it sweet surrender. Can you say that with me? Sweet surrender. Let's say it with enthusiasm. Now, I want to give you a warning, a warning, warning. That surrender is not always sweet. There are times when that surrender doesn't feel sweet. There are times when that surrender is painful, when that sweet surrender is, is filled with agony and grief. Why do I say this? Because by nature, and the Bible calls that the flesh, our lower nature, by nature, by nature, we want to do our own thing. By nature, we want our own way. By nature, we want to chart our own course by nature. We want to be the captains of our ships and the ships of our lives by nature. We want to be in charge of our destiny by nature. We want to handle our problems. And, 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 and by nature, we love and we fall in love with our own strength and with our own thinking, with our own ego. That is why. And all of this is well and good even for those who try until the ship of life hits an iceberg. 
and the ship begins to take water in. And then they begin to think of surrender. And this is where we find our friend Jacob in Genesis 32. If you're visiting with us, and it feels like a million years ago, uh, at least for me, because we, we, we sat on an airplane seat for nearly 80 hours and three, three weeks, and, and so it feels like millions of years ago, we started a series of watching how the grace of God works in the life of an individual. And I've chosen Jacob because that is where the grace of God is so manifested so powerfully. And we began to look at this man's life from the prism of the grace of God that is multiplied. Uh, Jacob was a man whose name had to be changed from Jacob to Israel. Because you see, that's what the grace of God does. There are some people, and the church is divided all over the place on this, there are some people in the church of Jesus Christ who think that those of us who are in the Reformed tradition believe that grace is merely a license to live in sin after salvation. And that is why they reject it. But this is a misunderstanding. As many times I quoted Charles Spurgeon, he said, the grace of God that does not transform our lives into the image of Jesus Christ is not the grace of Jesus Christ. You see, grace has to change us, change every one of us from a Jacob to Israel. And so here we see this so clearly in Genesis 32. Jacob is truly caught between the rock and the hard place. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Been there a few times. Some of you might be there right now at this very moment. And you came here, the Lord brought you here for a reason, because He wants to minister to you. He wants you to understand that you're not between the rock and the hard place, that you are between His hands. Amen? I know you heard it and I heard it. People say, well, when all else fail, try prayer. Thank God that's not the motto in this church, that we began in a prayer meeting, that we continue to pray. Our vestry meeting is a prayer meeting, that we go against that kind of uh, thinking, that this kind of, but we are committed to start and middle and end all in prayer. In this church, I thank God that prayer is our first option, not the last resort. Prayer here is the seeking of God's plan and say, Lord, give us your plan so that we may obey it. And I know that in many Christian circles, they said, God, here's our plan. Please bless it. And that's fine if that's what God wants to do with them. I'm not here to judge anybody. In Genesis 32, you find Jacob in a deep predicament. It really is when you read it, particularly in one of the Semitic languages. His uncle slash father-in-law was pursuing him from behind, and he was after him. His brother Esau, whom 20 years earlier vowed to kill Jacob, <laughs> heading toward him. I mean, just think about this. This is not between the, hard, the rock and the hard place. This is like this. I mean, the rock coming right in front of you and the hard place behind you. This is what you call, beloved friends, Heads you lose, tails you lose. There is no way out. His uncle behind him, he wants to dominate him. His brother in front of him, he wanted to kill him. Or at least that's what Jacob thought. That's exactly what he thought. Uh, 
this is something was in his head, and he believed it. I want to tell you something. I don't know about you, but in throughout the series of messages, I have been sympathizing with Jacob. I've been to places where this man has been and is. Even though his fears were not based on facts, even though his fears were based on conjecture, even though his fears were based on, not on reality, but he believed it. This is what he thought. This is what he anticipated in his head. So look closely at this very exciting episode in Jacob's life. If you review the situation, you find, of course, here in verses 1 and 2 of Genesis 32, Jacob sees an angel of the Lord going before him. But that was not enough. Because there's more. In the past 20 years, he has seen the hand of God working in him. Specifically, the last six years, God blessed him out of his socks in ways he could never have anticipated. Twenty years earlier, he saw a vision of the pre-incarnate Christ and a ladder going from earth to heaven, and the angels ascending and descending. That's why he called it, this is the house of God, Bethel. But way, 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 way back before he was born, God gave an oracle to his mother that the descendant of the Messiah is going to come through his line, not his brother Esau. Twenty years earlier, he saw a vision. Uh, God fulfilled his promises. He blessed him. He left a solitary man. And he says this in verse 10, but now I become two armies. God promised Jacob that he will be the fulfillment of the covenant that God made with his grandpa Abraham. And yet, of all these facts, with all this knowledge, with all those realities, at a moment of panic and fear, Jacob forgets all that. Have you been there too? I mean, you look back and how God blessed you, how God protected you, how God did things for you, and you, 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 you are overwhelmed. But then a moment of fear, a moment of panic, and all that is forgotten. I'm for here now. It's not happening. Think about this apparent crisis, and I call it apparent because it's not really a crisis. It's an apparent crisis. And before you condemn Jacob, I want to tell you, that we all, every one of us, including your pastor, are prone to do just this. In a moment of fear, in a moment of panic, in a moment of crisis, all of, all of the past intervention of God is obliterated from our memory. And I dare say that what Jacob did is what we often do. We go into a panic mode. <laughs> we start planning and start strategizing and start scheming. How am I going to get out of this? How am I going to get out of that? How am I going to do this? I have to deal with this crisis, and I need to do it now. Even if the facts are not all in, even if the facts are not all proven that this is real crisis. Ah, oh, but some rumor, hearsay, False information, 
some misunderstanding, we plunge into a survival mode and we begin our own wild schemes. Verse 9, Jacob sends one telegraphic prayer, and he's not really sure if God is going to answer. He's not really sure yet. He just sends it fast and hopes for the best. So he asks himself, what do I remember about my brother Esau? It's been 20 years since I saw him, but I do remember some things about him. What do I remember about him? What about his character? What kind, what kind of a person he is? Ah, I remember. <laughs> um, he is greedy and covetous. Uh, he is into instant gratification. I mean, he sold me his birthright for a bowl of soup. <laughs> uh, he uh, wants to satisfy his ferocious appetite. I know what to do. I feed his greed. <laughs> I feed his covetousness. I'm going to send him stuff. You know what I mean by stuff? We're always buying stuff. We want stuff for the kitchen, stuff for the living room, stuff. We're always getting stuff. We're filled with stuff. Let me send him all sorts of stuff and hope that he likes one or two or more of the others. I think Jacob is the first man to invent the fruit of the month club. <laughs> He's the inventor of it. Whether you want it or not, that's the next fruit comes in. Whether you, want, you, you like it or not, you, the next fruit is going to come. Every month, you're going to get the fruit of the month. So that's exactly what he did with his brother. He's the inventor of it. Not Larry and David or whatever his name is. Here's <laughs> his, his scheme. What do I do? I'll send him goats. And then wait and hope that he likes goats. But if he doesn't like goats, I'm going to send him camels. Maybe he's going to like camels. But if he doesn't like camels, I'll send him donkeys. Donkeys are cute, aren't they? <laughs> I'll send him some donkeys. And if he doesn't like donkeys, I'll send sheep. I mean, I'm going to keep sending the fruit of the month until he gets something that he likes. In a state of panic, he tries to buy his brother off. My precious brothers and sisters, what Jacob did not realize was that God had already heard and answered his prayer. And he's answering them in ways that he could never imagine. Can you put up with me for just a few minutes? You've been so gracious. You've been putting up with me for 30 years. God bless you. I tell people all over the world, you're most the persevering congregation I know. If you put up with me for that long. I want to testify to the Lord today. I want to testify that the times in my life when I prayed for big things from God, things that to do with the glory of God, things that to do with the kingdom of God, God things that to do with the work of God, God never answered my prayer as I prayed them, as I prayed them. Indeed, he answered them exceedingly, abundantly, and above what I could have thought. 
This is the story of my life. It's my testimony to the Lord because of the nature of our God. Always God answers exceedingly, abundantly, above what we can imagine. This is my testimony for nearly seven decades. Look at Jacob's closely, please, with me. God did not only prepare his brother Esau's heart and cause him to repent and to forgive his brother Jacob, but God himself showed up. Be very careful when you pray a prayer like this because God is going to show up. And don't miss him when he shows up. Don't miss him. Watch this now. Watch this. Esau is sending 400-man army not to kill his brother Jacob, but as a welcoming committee. How do you like them apples? (laughs) I wonder how many of us, in our scheming, we become so possessed with our own negative emotions, our own negative imagination. And we think the worst. Many years ago, I read this true story about this man who always, always allowed his negative imaginations to really get the best of him. (laughs) He was like Job. The thing I fear the most come upon me. Hello. This man was driving in the middle of nowhere at night. And what he feared the most in his life is that his car is going to break down or has a flat tire in the middle of nowhere. That was always his fear. And you guessed it. It's exactly what happened. He had a flat tire in the middle of nowhere in the blackness of midnight. To make things worse, he discovered that he did not have a jack to change the tire. And so he began to panic. It was cold. It was dreary. He was lonely and he was frightened. And he walked around a little bit hoping to see some light somewhere coming that he can follow. And sure enough, as he walked, he saw a tiny little bit of light coming from a farmhouse. And so he began to walk toward that farmhouse, putting hope against hope that he could find someone from whom he can borrow Jack to bring in and change his tire. On his way to the farmhouse, his negative imagination began to take hold. I mean, it took hold. It took total control of his thought. And he began to think, well, what if the farmer refuses to lend me a jack? What if that farmer is a murderer type? What if this farmer will come out with a shotgun and start shooting before even asking questions? What if, what if, what if, and all these negative thoughts By the time he arrived at the farmhouse and he knocked on the door, the man opened the door. He said, I don't want your stinking jack. (laughs) Well, that's what you call jumping the gun. (laughs) Now, with this brief introduction, let me get to the message. Now, in reality, I want to share with you four things. Very quickly, it's, it's not, no, don't panic, it's not that I'm starting the sermon, but I want to share with you, with you four thoughts that whenever you find yourself at the horns of a dilemma, ask yourself that question. If you don't have a pen and paper, get your 
iPhone and send yourself a memo. Write those four things down. I hope you'll never forget them. Uh, you might not need them now, but you will need them at some point. First of all, find out what causes you to tremble. Secondly, understand the necessity of wrestling. And thirdly, discover the blessing of clinging. And fourthly, experience the power of limping. They will make sense in a minute, okay? Find out what is causing you to tremble. You're facing a problem, real or imaginary. It's in your mind or it's not. It doesn't matter. Most often what causes us fear, what causes us to tremble, not even real. Most often. Uh, most of it is in our own imagination. Most of it based on half-truths. Uh, most of it is not even factual. But that be, be that as it may, I'm, I'm going to take it for granted that it's real. When Jacob heard that Esau is coming to meet him with 400-man army, he panicked. He became a panic-stricken man. After all, why in the world would Esau be coming out to meet him with that many people? This is the very man 20 years earlier said, I'm going to kill you. And Jacob trembled and shook. That's what the literal word. He was trembling. He was shaking all night long. He was trembling. Over what? Erroneous information. Wild imagination and wrong contemplation. Now, beloved, the Bible paints a picture here. I hope you read it slowly and you read it carefully because it's, it's a picture. I wish I could paint it. I, I can't paint. But he paints a picture here of a man who is severely agitated. I mean, he was so agitated in the darkness of night. I think most of us know how hard and tough things are The dark night of our soul. Do you know what I'm talking about? Nights, particularly in the desert when there's no moon, it's very dark. It's pitch black. No work that can be done so it takes your mind off your problem. The only thing you see at night is your wild and bizarre imagination. Jacob was sleepless. He can't sleep. He's tossing and turning. He's restless. Every time an animal makes a noise, he starts singing, Nearer my God to thee. <laughs> Every time he hears an unusual sound, he probably is reciting the Lord's Prayer. Now, he didn't, but you do. Which brings me, secondly, to the necessity of wrestling with God. I'm going to explain that to you because a lot of people misunderstand that part. I want to explain it very carefully. Verses 9 to 12. And Jacob cries out to the Lord, and he says, Oh, Lord, my God, deliver me. My beloved friends, I hope you know what you're saying when you pray a prayer like this. Because you may be praying for something, but then you discover that the Lord himself shows up 
And he's right there. In the midst of fear and terror, Jacob cries to the Lord, and the Lord shows up in person. Watch this. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. The Lord shows up to bless Jacob. That's really the purpose of coming, of showing up. He was to bless Jacob. But, here's, here is the big but. The, before he could bless Jacob, he needed Jacob to surrender. Can I get a witness? In the middle of the darkness, the pre-incarnate Christ appears to Jacob. Now, some of you know this. Some of you may not know that in the Old Testament, the Lord Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, appeared many times. He appeared to Abraham. He appeared many times. Uh, the theologians have a big word for it. They call it theophany. Can you say theophany? Now you pass first year of seminary. Here's something else I don't want you to miss. Because many of the Bible and, and the wording and the translation uh, says that Jacob was wrestling with God. You got it? You see it in your Bible? And, and, and many a preacher through the years I've heard, they said, oh, Jacob wrestled with God. You must wrestle with God until God answers you. You must do this and you must do that. No, wait, wait. Hold, 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 hold on. <laughs> the Lord did not show up so that he may give Jacob an opportunity to wrestle with him. Are you with me? The Lord was not really looking for a wrestling match. The Lord showed up so that he may wrestle with Jacob rather than the other way around. It is true that Jacob asked for a blessing, but he would not get it until he surrendered. It was God who showed up to bring Jacob to the point of surrender because he was not going to get that blessing until he surrendered. In the end, he wanted it, and yes, he received it, but God waited until he surrendered. Beloved, will you listen to me just for a minute? Because I can tell you, this is the true word of God. God will wrestle with his beloved child until that child surrender. He may be wrestling with you right now. When you and I persist in our stubbornness, when you and I persist in our disobedience, when you and I persist on going our own way, God does not give up and says, oh, what can I do? I can't get her attention. I, I can't get him to listen. I give up. No, 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 no. God does not give up on his children. He'll give up on the devil's children. He'll never give up on his own children. God will pursue his own children until he gets them. God does not give up on his children. God will wrestle with his children. Beloved, the Bible is filled with paradoxes. This is a paradox. In fact, I have a whole sermon on the paradoxes in the Bible. But there are paradoxes that we will never fully understand until we get to heaven. Just as the camel cannot receive goods until he kneels, it's too high. And I'm going to explain to you, this is really the root of the, the Hebrew word. The word barakah means a blessing. It has its root in the word of kneeling, barak. 
A camel has to get down on all four in order for the blessing to be loaded on top of him. In the same way, God will not bless the non-surrendered. There can be no real blessings without surrender. There can be no true success. Oh, there might be worldly success. I'm talking about true success without submission. There can be no true victory without relinquishing control. There can be no effectiveness, true effectiveness for God without yielding. There can be no great power without obedience. Find what caused you to tremble. Understand the necessity of God wrestling with you. Experience the blessing of clinging. Jacob kept up the struggle till daybreak. He was not about to surrender. If you think it's easy, you have not been there. He stubbornly held on. He wanted the blessings from the Lord, but the Lord would not give him the blessing until he surrendered. And because the Lord did not want Jacob to see his face, he was about to leave without blessing him. Because Jacob would not surrender. Beloved, I personally believe that Jacob knew why the Lord is wrestling with him. It's for his good. It's for his good. And so he clung on to the Lord. What the Lord wanted of his chosen vessels, all his chosen vessels, what he wants from them is to learn just as he wanted Jacob to learn that all of his past striving and all of his past struggling, all of his past scheming, all of his past maneuvering and manipulating, all the stuff that he was been doing did not really bring him a real blessing. But now he must struggle against the Lord and lose. See, that's the purpose of wrestling. God does not come here just to have a wrestling match. He wants us to lose. Some of you know this. I have wrestled with God many times. I still wrestle with God. There's so many things in my life I still want to lose to the Lord. I haven't lost yet. In the big issues of life, I struggled with the Lord at least three big times in my life. Each time I struggled with the Lord until I lost, and He won. Oh, what a beautiful and joyful loss that was. <laughs> I want to tell you something I hope you'll never forget. Every time I lose to God and I surrender, I receive untold blessings. Untold. I cannot even verbalize them. One time the Lord wrestled with me when I was trying to run away from him. I lost, he won, and my life was saved. When God wrestled with me regarding the birthing of this church, it took two years. I lost, 
God won, and thousands of lives around the world has been impacted for Christ. God is wrestling with some of you right now. You know who you are. He's wrestling with some of you, and you're not giving up that easily. Whether it is over a sin in your life, or whether it is over a relationship that He wants you to give up, or whether it is your determination to go it your way, or whether it is a direction that the Lord does not want you to go, I promise you, your blessing and possibly your life is dependent on your losing and God winning. You know, sometimes I hear people in the secular media, and even some in what I call the apostate church, people who deny the gospel altogether. They call those of us who are Bible-believing Christians, they call us losers. Have you ever heard that? I heard it many times. And I know there's some apologists and others who have wanted to go and defend themselves and, 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 and bent out of shape and said, well, we're not losers, we're not losers. I said, stop. Of course we are. <laughs> we are losers. Are you kidding me? We are joyful losers. We're delighted losers. I am truly proud to be a loser to God. <laughs> Nor the cause of your trembling. Understand the necessity of wrestling. Experience the blessing of clinging. Finally, welcome the power of limping. The last thing that you see here in Genesis 32 is dear old Jacob limping his way over to meet with his brother Esau. He was limping. It's not all that bad. Not all limping is bad. I remember back in the 80s and 90s, and people always talked about a power lunch. I'm going to have a power lunch. Some people wear a power tie. It was a big thing in the 80s, and some of you are not old enough to remember that, but and always everything power, power. I call this as a power limp. <laughs> it is the limp that says, I am decreasing and God is increasing. It is the limp that says, I am walking not in my own strength anymore. It is the limp that says, I am no longer Jacob, I am Israel. And the word Israel means God rules, or God commands, or God prevails more accurately. Just like the other names, Daniel, Daniel, Daniel means God judges, or Samuel, Samuel, God hears. Israel, God prevails. God prevails. He's no longer a grabber, Jacob, but he, God prevails. God lost, Jacob lost, and he began to experience true success. Beloved, let's, let's be honest with each other. The world, the world outside will never understand. They will never understand until they come to Christ. They will never understand that for us believers in the Lord Jesus, our success is in losing to the Lord. Our victory is in surrendering to the Lord. Our blessing 
is in submission to the Lord. For years, Jacob contented and cheated and his father and tried to cheat his brother and tried to scheme and maneuver and didn't go very far. God said, from your loins, my Messiah is going to come. From your seed, Jesus, the Messiah, will be born. And therefore, you have to lose so that God might win. Now, I'm not saying that any of us in in this kind of a situation now, but you are a beloved child of God. Jesus died on the cross for you. He loves you so dearly. And he wants you to surrender because he wants to bless you. Can I get an amen? Amen. Because here he is, Jacob, 20 years later, he was still terrified of his brother Esau. He's not living in victory, despite of the fact that he was successful, worldly standards and everything else. He was still living in fear, not in victory. And now he knows what victory is all about. So let me ask you, are you ready to lose? Are you ready to lose? Are you ready to give up fighting? Are you ready to surrender? Let's all stand up. As our musicians start coming up here. It doesn't matter where you're sitting. If it is your desire to say, Lord, I surrender. I want to lose so you can win. I want you to get up from your seat and come right here so I can pray with you and for you. I'm going to be the first one standing here. So don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. I want to surrender. Amen? So, guys, as you sing I Surrender All, I'm going to invite all the precious brothers and sisters. You want to come. This is not for me. It's not for you. This is for the glory of God. This is your way of saying, okay, Lord, I am tired of planning and scheming and going my own way. I am really ready to give it all up to you. Amen? Go, Jeremy. Start singing, brother. Some more coming down. More coming down. <laughs>